You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In from the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we watch and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 1,700 and discuss with the intention of determining whether or not this makes for a good drive-in double feature. We're interested in horror films, exploitation movies, and other similar genres. We do go into the plots in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, we encourage you to check out these movies before listening. Follow us on Twitter for any updates, at DriveInPodcast. And without much further ado, I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim! Welcome back, Jim. Last time we didn't have you, it's great to have you back Don't lie to me, Patrick, but thank you for saying that. Anyways... This time we've got Final Destination, not to be confused with The Final Destination, which yes, I think yeah. is the fourth movie in the series. <laughs> like, why not? And Night of the Living Dead, not to be confused with Night of the Living Dead, the you know, the remake, or Return of the Living Dead, which is not a sequel to this movie. So two well-known horror movies, one from George A. Romero, the other from... James Wong, not to be confused with James Wan, <laughs> another well-known horror director. So, I, you know, there's a lot of connections here. Well, you know the cool thing about Final Destination? I think this is the first time we've had fate as the uh, antagonist. I mean, not since not since the partner's tale in uh, Chaucer, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Well, I think that's not fate. That's death. But I mean, same idea. Well, I mean, it's it's death here. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I guess I it guess is death with a capital D. Yeah. yeah. Now, you are a big X-Files fan, correct? Huge X-Files fan. Somewhat fan? Okay. I say huge, but I, I probably haven't seen every episode. <laughs> All right. Well, there's an X-Files connection here. Yeah. Uh, Tony Todd. Oh, I, I didn't, I literally didn't know he was the, I think the people that wrote Final, I think Final Destination started as like a spec script oh, yes, for it did. an X-Files episode, and then they're like, yeah, let's make this into a movie or something, which I, ne- I never saw that series, so, so I don't have a great idea of what X-Files is, what it feels like, but this has like trashy teen <laughs> horror movie written all over it. I, I can't really imagine this as an X-Files episode. No, I yeah, don't I don't think David Duchovny is going to be running around with, uh, uh, what's her name? David Dakota? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> David Dakota's running around with David Duchovny, of course. Uh, with lots of men. Yeah, I don't think this would have been like a great X-Files story, <laughs> but it might have been with... I mean, I'm sure it would have been a little different. Yeah, I'm sure. That's the way we have it. Yeah, it's a trashy teen horror. Not as trashy, by the way, as pretty much the rest of the series, which, I mean, that's oh, true yeah. for a lot of film series, horror film series, like know, the original Friday the 13th. Not that trashy. You see the you see part five. It's like the trashiest movie ever, and, <laughs> and that's sort of here. Like I, I get them all mixed up because they're all basically the same. Movie. Yeah, pretty much same exact plot of the Final Destination movies. I mean, there's the Friday the Thirteenth movies too. Technically, I remember the. I think this is kind of like the inverse of the Star Trek series because Star Trek the good ones are the even numbered. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the Final Destination. I remember the odd numbers being the good ones. I remember like okay, three and five were my two favorites, and then like eh, one's probably the third best. Having seen it now again, if this is the third best, this is not as good a franchise as I remember it. This movie's okay. 
Yeah. But it's not as fun as I remembered it. And I saw it for the first time not that long ago, like a couple years. So, you know, I don't know. I think I would have loved this when I was a teen, though. Yeah, I mean, I saw this when I was, uh, Christ, if this came out in 2000, I had moved to Kingston by that time. So I was probably like 12, okay. 13. And I think I saw it with a friend of mine. We had gone to, we had... But 12 or 13, you were born in the 80s? What? No, no. In, in, in 2006... My friend and I, we had biked over to Blockbuster, and we rented this one and Final Destination 2, and we watched okay. both those, and then when the third and fourth ones came out, I think I saw those in theaters. Okay. I remember liking them a lot. Now, I'm, I'm kind of in... I'm on board with you, Patrick. I uh, uh, My fondness has kind of uh, uh, shrunk away from it, I think. Well, let's get let's get started, I guess. So we kind of open on this silly montage of all these different images of death, and I was originally going to skip this, but I kind of wanted to know what <laughs> what you thought about this uh, this opening credit scene. I, j- I just saw this movie, and I don't even remember. <laughs> I'm not even lying. Like, though they have all these dumb is, like references, it's like to... medieval illustration. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh no, is it is it like is it like stuff from movies? I don't. Even well, remember there's this. medieval illustrations. And then okay. at one point you see the book fall over death of a salesman. <laughs> oh, I do remember the death of a salesman now that you point that out. I forgot that wasn't a montage. I thought that was just in the main character's room for well, some I, reason. Well, I think it is. I think it is. And then because okay. that opening montage is him packing to go on the school trip. And visually we are told that he's a salesman. <laughs> so almost right off the bat, other than that silly opening, uh, we're introduced to the main character. Uh, his name's Alex. And uh, he's getting ready for his... No, 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 you got to give his full name because this is one of those stupid horror movies that does the thing where every name is a reference to other horror movies. Yeah, give us the list. We haven't seen that 4,000 times in (laughs) Friday the 13th Part 6, Night of the Creeps, etc. I mean, those are just the 1986 ones that did this. You have Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which did it in 1987. (laughs) There's so many of them and they're all obnoxious. Yeah, what are all the names again for this movie? There's, uh, you said there's Valerie Luton. Yeah, Valerie Luton, which is weird because the person's, the person they're referencing is literally Val Luton. So, like, they're (laughs) not even trying there. We've got a Browning or two, and that's Todd Browning, the director of Dracula, which we featured on this podcast and freaks clear rivers i think is at least to my knowledge the only one that doesn't have like a point of reference which it's also the dumbest name somehow (laughs) (laughs) because because it's clear not claire yeah you'd think it's claire claire is a normal name i thought it was claire for the longest time the way devin sawa pronounces it it really does sound like claire yeah but it's not it's 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 a lot dumber And then, uh, I don't know, there's, there, oh, there's a, the first one, because I think it was the first name they said out loud. It's like someone, <laughs> they're gathering at the airport and someone's like, Hitchcock, is Hitchcock oh, here? Oh, that's like, right. Fuck you. Because it's like the most obvious one, right? Yeah. It's not like Hitchcock is like the least common name ever or something, but it's like in a movie, if you have a character named Hitchcock, like we know what you're doing. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. Also, was, was the Hitchcock character the guy who played Stifler in American Pie? Yes, yeah, Sean uh, William Scott. That's so sad. Star of Road Trip <laughs> and, uh, and and American Pie and Goon to yeah, give Goon, yeah. him credit for something that he's actually good in. Uh, you know? I love Goon. I had the biggest problem with him in this movie. First of all, this is the same year as Road Trip, so big year for him. But is he 
playing someone special that's what i thought or is that just or is that just his acting i think it's just his act well at first i thought he's playing like a douchey guy because he shows up to the airport well because he's him yeah exactly because he's he's sean william scott so that's what you assume (laughs) yeah and then uh, as the movie goes on you're like oh maybe he's just kind of stupid and but a nice guy and then by the end of his time in the movie, you're like, oh, the guy's kind of a dick, actually. And he is really stupid. Well, I mean, he's not as, as certainly not. As, I mean, he shows up in the in the Rangers, like, late 90s, early 2000s uniform with the Statue of Liberty <laughs> logo, which is such, like, a... I actually kind of... I like that logo on, like, a hat, but, like, as, as like, a jersey, it's it's atrocious. Like, what were they thinking? <laughs> that was, like, so of that time. Ugly. It was around the time in the NBA they had, like, giant logos on everyone's jerseys, like the um, Houston Rockets, and they had their, like, pinstripe thing. Like I remember that uniform from when they drafted Yao. The only one I actually do like from that era was the Toronto Raptors with the, with the big raptor on the front, just because that's a fun symbol. <laughs> and I like raptors, okay? Let's get back to Alex. He's getting ready for his class trip to Paris. From his little opening scene, we can see that he's pretty superstitious. He wants to keep an old uh, uh, luggage tag on his bag because that plane didn't crash. And it's all for good luck. Which that's how, you know, existing luggage works. (laughs) Like luggage that has been previously used, but sure. Yeah. So he makes his way to the airport and we're introduced to the rest of the major characters. We have Alex's best friend, as we've already pointed out, Todd, the teacher named Miss Luton, this douchey guy who I always, I forget his name now. I just said it to you before we started recording, but this douchey guy has a girlfriend named Terry and then we have Stifler and, oh, and then, <laughs> See, <I was> just <laughs> <calling him. laughs> yeah, Stifler. And then we also have strange hippie. I mean, he's Sean William Scott. That's, that's, he's Stifler. But then we also have strange hippie girl, Clear River. Rivers. Yes. Played by Ali Larder. We got to point out, too, that this is a very, very post-Scream horror movie. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean that in the sense that, like, it's referencing a bunch of horror movies. Because, I mean, you know, with the character names and stuff. But, like, first of all, look up the poster for Scream. Look up the poster for this movie. Look up the poster for I Know What You Did Last Summer. It's the same exact poster. Yeah. (laughs) It's people (laughs) arranged, people's faces arranged where they're looking at the camera with like someone in the middle and it's obnoxious. And that's, I guess that's just the Scream influence. But also like what Scream, what Scream did for like how you cast these movies too was like, I don't want to say like completely new, but it was like, I don't know, you get these like young actors who appear to have like bright futures ahead of them, but have already kind of been significant usually, mm-hmm. maybe not always. So like Scream, you got you got uh, Matthew Lillard, you got Jamie Kennedy, future star of Son of Mask. Well, so, I mean, Nev Campbell and uh, Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. like big cast, Rose McGowan. And then this movie, I mean, you get Stifler, and that's, (laughs) well, Allie Larder was, like, kind of a big deal, sort of, like, a little bit. I think Devin Sawa, no one heard of him for 15 years, and then he popped up in The Fanatic with John Travolta (laughs) a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know what they were doing with this cast, but. I feel the influence. They, they, They got people that looked like they belong in Scream. Yes. Like even just the hairstyles. Maybe this is just the early 2000s too, because if you watch this movie, maybe the second movie too, because that's 03. I had forgotten how awful fashion and like <laughs> hairstyle was in the early 2000s because yeah. I was like too young to realize it was terrible. And I guess that's how everyone is, you know, in their youth. People who grow up in the 80s don't realize how terrible 80s fashion is until, you know, maybe you're 1994 and you look back and like, whoa. But yeah. <laughs> Final Destination, there's some awful, awful clothing here. This is like the era of, I don't even know how to describe it, it, it other than the those 2000s kids movies, you know? Like, where everybody's 
a teenager. 2000s kids movie makes it sound like. Well, like, sorry, sorry. Like uh, I meant like daycare or something. You know how you had like boner comedy slash normal comedy taking place in high school in the 80s in America? The American Pie and in, in that kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if American Pie was the first of those, but it had its own imitators. Road Trip is you know very much American Pie inspired property, I guess. Mm-hmm. They should have had Tom Green in this movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> what what do you think of Tom Green as the coroner? Does that does that work? Uh, no. What do you say? Tom Green as the teacher that ends up dying on the yeah, plane. Yeah, that would have been funny. The, friend, the, the teacher that knows French. <laughs> okay. At the airport, as all the students are kind of relaxing, waiting to get on their flight, weird things start happening to Alex. The time his flight is leaving is also his birthday, 925. The arrivals... Which, is that like a superstition? I have, I have no clue. People... I think it's just I've like never a weird heard of coincidence, that. maybe. I have <laughs> I've never, yeah. I've never heard of like, oh, this is the this time is the date of my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Because I was born on December 38th, and it's now 12.38 p.m. or something. <laughs> like, what? I know. It's not a thing. Oh, no, my flight is on... Is at eight eleven. It's gonna crash. It's stupid. But uh, so that happens. You mean now. nine nine? Why eight eleven? Because August eleventh. Why? Uh, but but you, you set it up for like a nine eleven joke and uh, then just whiffed by a month. Well, you know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking about birthdays, not when you know there's this mass tragedy in New York. <laughs> uh so anyways, the weird time thing. The arrivals departures board is flipping out, and my. My personal favorite part is when him and his buddy, Alex and his buddy, are taking a shit. John Denver comes on <laughs> on the radio or whatever it is. Yes, which they're really hammering the John Denver. They got they got their rights movie. to one song, and they well, no, no. I mean, it, it I mean yeah, ground. it's it's one song. But the thing is, John Denver died in a plane crash. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they could have sprinkled in some, maybe get some Otis Redding in here. Some Steve, well, Stevie Ray Vaughan was helicopter, I think. Uh, Leonard Skinnerd, Buddy Holly. Buddy, yeah, Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, obviously. Richie Valens. Yeah, there's a lot of plane crash guys. Why did they go so hard on John Denver? That's a good question. Yeah, a little too hard. Because, again, it's the exact same song every time John Denver comes on. As Alex is getting onto the plane, he re- he sees even more kind of strange things. Like, the, the fuselage is all scraped up. He sits down in his seat, and the wing flaps look mangled and, like, fucked up. And he gets out of his seat so that these two girls can sit together. And in his new seat by his friend Todd, his uh, his tray is broken. So, despite all of these warning signs for Alex... Is that why the, the plane, plane crashes, by the way? Because they didn't have a way to fasten that into an in upright <laughs> position. I think so. I and, think because so. that takeoff, you need those up. We all know that. <laughs> I know. They should play the the opening to this movie uh, before every flight. I've heard of people like watching this movie on planes and stuff, just like <laughs> like freaking out the person next to them. Probably that'd be fun. <laughs> but you know, as you said, Patrick, the plane crashes in this terrible, awful <laughs> fireball where Alex gets incinerated. We immediately cut to Alex waking up in his seat before he's moved. So even though it appears to have been like a dream or, or, or something, it quickly turns into a premonition because all the events that Alex had, had dreamed of begin happening. So he has a bit of a meltdown and screams, you know, that the plane is going to explode, which, by the way, this is pre-9-11. Pre-9-11, right? <laughs> yeah. This is, I didn't realize, I thought it was just a free-for-all with airport security back then. I don't know. I, <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, well, you plane's going to explode, shoes sit on, down and shut up. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Miss those and days, everyone's like, "This is not funny. What's wrong?" Yeah, this movie would have played even better like a year and a half later, probably. 
<laughs> I mean, oh, it doesn't yeah. play that well to begin with. Because it's not no. that great, but. Well, Alex gets escorted off the plane, and a bunch of other students also get kicked off the plane for yeah, just kind of being in the Yeah, there were some people vicinity. fighting him. Stifler was just in the bathroom, so he kind of just got caught in the. Yeah. The in the ruckus. exodus. <laughs> but Clear Rivers is the one that makes the decision. She's like, okay, I will leave. Because mm-hmm. she's like this thing you said, kind of like hippie, kind of gypsy. Yeah, spiritual. The phantasm grandmother kind of person. <laughs> yeah, so I think, how, how many of them are there? There's like seven of them that are now off of the plane. Well, the two teachers, one of them gets, the French teacher, Tom Green, gets yes. back on the plane. <laughs> and unluckily for Tom Green, the plane does in fact explode. So we got We got to talk are... about something here. Okay, This yeah. entire setup of the movie is basically the Twilight Zone episode 22, which I don't know if people have talked about this being an inspiration. It's it's like so fairly obvious. I feel like whoever wrote it was like aware, had to be aware of this. And I feel like they're not really trying to hide anything. I'm just saying like, I don't see people talking about this. But in 22 is an episode where this like Marilyn Monroe knockoff woman like wakes up in a hospital and like she keeps having the same dream over and over again where she's going down to the basement to like room 22 which is actually the morgue or something and she freaks out and then but eventually she's released from the hospital and she goes to a plane but the flight is flight 22 so she freaks out and doesn't get on it the plane then goes up and it explodes and it's like almost the exact same shot as like seeing from ground level in the airport like when the plane explodes very remarkably similar james wong hack no no i mean i love james wong james wong on the other hand i don't know (laughs) Well, the plane crashes, and because of Alex's outburst, the FBI are called in to question him and the others that got off the plane. My but... favorite character, Shrek. <laughs> yeah. Now, this this requires some context. The lead actor in Nosferatu, the guy playing Count Orlock, the actor's name was Max Shrek. Hence, <laughs> we're given this guy's name, Shrek. I don't remember the other FBI guy's name. I don't know, but I mean, Shrek is Daniel Roebuck, but... This is just unfortunate timing because this is a year before (laughs) the movie Shrek came out and ruined that name for both people who have it in real life forever, (laughs) you know? Even though it is his last name here, not his first name, it's spelled differently, you're still calling a character Shrek and it's just kind of like, it's just poorly (laughs) aged things, I don't know. You wonder if he has as many layers as onions, you know? I wonder if the script does. (laughs) The answer is no. So after everybody's allowed to go home, we cut to 39 days later, 39 days after the crash, the high school that they all attended holds this memorial ceremony. Which the high, the high school's got to be like Corman High or something, right? It has probably has <laughs> Mount Abraham. Damn it. I thought <laughs> I thought for sure it would be a uh, a reference the way all the characters names are. Like <laughs> yeah. Craven High or something, I don't know. The next Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events that leads to somebody's death is Todd. So it's pretty much right after this memorial service. Uh, he's hanging out in the bathroom in his house and water begins to leak from the toilet and it slowly snakes its way to his feet in front of the uh, the sink. Well, but it's like moves... a supernatural water though. It's like its own blue kind of, there's a blue thing going on here. Yeah, yeah. Something, I don't feel like the series kept with this like blue thing signifying death approaching i don't know i don't remember it doing that but, well i mean i know that they had like a shadow figure kind of like move in the background and that's what triggered everything because he cuts himself shaving and stuff but you're right th- th- yeah. this water there's like is... a blue the thing on the ground yeah 
And yeah, this water is, it has a mind of its own. It's being controlled. So when he steps away from the sink, from the vanity, he walks over to the tub and it causes him to slip. And this is my favorite mm-hmm. death, actually. It causes okay. him to slip and he gets his neck caught around a clothesline hanging in the tub and he, he essentially chokes to death. Wait, did you say he gets... <laughs> Carradine. <laughs> David yeah. Carradine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to make that joke. God damn it. So yes, Patrick, Todd gets David Carradine in the tub, and then we watch the water kind of recede back into the pipe. So, you know, yeah. we know there's like this supernatural thing supernatural for sure. Supernatural shenanigans going on here. So Todd's dead. Alex rushes over to his house because he gets this like, the universe gives him a clue. Yeah, his spidey senses die. were tingling. Yeah, yeah, and by his spidey senses tingling, he was popping a boner when he pulled out a penthouse magazine, and then an owl spooked him, and he threw it at a fan, and it cut out the name todd i i honestly think the spidey senses makes more sense (laughs) seems more realistic (laughs) Uh, well the next day because i think clear miss clear rivers was at todd's house as well hiding behind a tree while police were taking the body out the next day alex goes to see clear who's the only other person in this movie who thinks something is going on and they decide to break into the morgue to check out Todd's body for some reason. Well, you know, he's always been curious about other men, and it's <laughs> first chance to really. See I've always that. wanted to see Todd's body. Didn't go to gym class, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, we got to get to the Tony Todd scene somehow. You know, exactly. Yeah. He's in the in some of the sequels. He literally just shows up, and there's no reason for him to be there. He's like, <laughs> sure, the morgue or the the mortician's gonna show up to the funeral to talk to some teens, give exposition. Why not? You know. Dude, he's such a great part of this movie. And I I guess I should say, when they show up to the morgue, they get spooked but educated by Tony Todd, who's just Tony kind of Todd, hanging out in the shadows. Giving it, he's giving it his all. He, oh, he yeah. really, I mean, like I mentioned earlier with the, like, the horror actors' names kind of thing, it's something else that tends to bother me a bit in horror movies is, like, give a really small role to, like, this actor that's famous for, like, a number of horror movies right it happens mm-hmm. all the time jeffrey combs will pop up brad duraf will pop up you know whoever linnea quigley qualifies although she's in the stuff that's far more trashy than this um and and the reason it bothers me a lot of times is that most of these actors are like legitimately very good and they deserve to have more than what's essentially just a glorified cameo yeah and because they're so well known for these horror movies they get typecast and it's like i would like to see robert england act i don't want to see him play freddy forty-five thousand times necessarily i mean i do (laughs) want to see that but i would like to see him do something (laughs) a little different too yeah so tony todd is clearly because he's Candyman. that's clearly what they're going for is like okay we're giving some this movie some horror credibility by casting him Mm -hmm. and yet he's honestly the best part of the movie regardless of like knowing who he is his just his line delivery and i mean even his lines themselves are just like so much fun but he's 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 like yeah he's 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 playing a creepy corner of course because why not and he's great i i like the scene a lot yeah he gives this great delivery like um he gives and i had no idea he was an x-files guy i did not know that i think he was also in star trek too i'd have to double everyone's been in star trek yeah everyone I guarantee it. He's yeah. He's probably in Deep Space Nine or something. He Everyone is. Yeah. He is. He plays. <laughs> he plays old I've never Jake seen Cisco. Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and he's also in oh, the that next makes generation. Sense. Okay, that that actually makes sense. No, he actually does kind of look like him. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Yeah. Tony Todd gives them this spiel, I guess, on death and how 
The seven of them that were kicked off the plane cheated death, and again, this is death with a capital D. Death had created this specific set of circumstances for these people to die, but they escaped it. So now death is creating new scenarios to kill them. At the end of this scene, he like kind of finger guns Alex. He goes, I'll be seeing you soon or something like that. And I just love that line and that delivery. He's so oh, creepy yeah. and he just It's so, it's so, so well. great. I mean, perfect like haunted house performance kind of like he's spooking you. He's like kind of helping you, but he's also just like there to kind of scare you just because like. It's fun, I guess. I don't really know why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's great. It really is. And it, I, don't, I don't care overall much for the acting in this movie. I mean, again, mm-hmm. we already talked about Stifler. We're not 100% <laughs> sure if he's playing someone who's a little slow or not. So that's somewhat of an indication of his performance, of the quality of his performance. But also Devin right. Sawa, he sucks. He's mm-hmm. so boring. I know there's some Devin Sawa fans out there. I mean, I don't know why, but they're out there. Because he's in be, Idle yeah. Hands, he's in this, and then I don't know what he did until The Fanatic. He's actually kind of good in The Fanatic, to be honest. I mean, Travolta's, like, embarrassing himself, but he's actually <laughs> solid. <laughs> he's just so boring, and he's got just, like, a bland, boring, like, he's good-looking, but he's just, like, boring to look at, even. There's, like, nothing interesting about him. Yeah. I yeah, do kind of like Allie Larder, although that might just be because her character's a little bit different. Yeah, her character's like the most like some personality there, you person know? other than fucking Tony Todd, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. And she's like a metal, she works, she does like metal work and stuff. She lives in a cool house and has a dog. Sure, I'm, I'm on board with her. Yeah. Well, after Alex and Clear talk to Tony Todd, actually get scared away by Tony Todd, I should say, they head over to a coffee shop to try to figure out what to do about their situation. And then by chance, the remaining survivors all kind of show up at the coffee shop, all in different mm-hmm. ways. This is probably the scene that the movie's best remembered for. Yes, yeah. And Alex, at one point, sees the reflection of a bus in the coffee shop's window, and when he turns around, it's gone. Or it's not even there, to begin with. And that's kind of foreshadowing for what's coming next. That's how works, yeah. (laughs) Fuck off. Well, it's foreshadowing, because once everybody shows up at the coffee shop... Alex and the douchey guy begin to argue, and Terry, douchey guy's girlfriend, walks away and says, I'm done with this, and she gets absolutely obliterated by a bus. <laughs> yeah, this has got this has got to be the scene, the moment that this movie's best yeah. remembered for. I can imagine seeing this in a theater, theater like opening night, no one's seen this movie before, and the crowd just like erupts in this scene, and because it's not really played, I mean, it's a jump scare, but it is played more for laughs than it is for scares, and this is really the only oh, yeah. moment like that, and honestly, this is a better version, I think, of the Samuel Jackson Deep Blue Sea death. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, well, because, I mean, in that case, it's it's right after he has this long dramatic monologue and then the shark jumps up and bites him to death. In this one, it's 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 a little bit better because it's it's this, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. I don't know. I just find it more effective, more enjoyable. Maybe it's just because there's not a terrible looking shark. That, I mean, that's always a plus. Well, maybe if you yeah, terrible looking sharks, please. Maybe it's just because it's a big fucking bus, you know, too. Like there's something kind of satisfying about <laughs> Seen somebody hit by a bus in a movie, like Mean Girls. I'm, but but you could say the same about seeing a genetically engineered shark eating someone, though. Too. I mean, to be yeah, fair, I guess you could. Yeah, I, mean, okay. I found very little satisfying about Deep Blue Sea, but I haven't seen it since <laughs> I was a kid, so I don't know. Well, after this most recent death, it turns out that Alex can predict who is going to die, both by the universe trying to show him what's going to happen, but also. Mm-hmm. 
he can he can trace the path of an explosion on the airplane. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't go off of his memory here. Oh yeah, I mean, and be like, oh no, this is how this person died first, and this like because because it's a plane explosion. Like we see it play out, but in theory, that's like a virtually immediate thing. You know, yeah, it's like. Yeah. So I always kind of got the impression that's just like the elongated version for our viewing pleasure. And I will say that's a pleasurable scene. I enjoyed that scene. Yeah, yeah they do the, the news thing does the path of the explosion, which I'm not sure the news would cover. They would probably just say, oh, it exploded. Here's why. We're <laughs> <laughs> moving on with our life. Yeah. Sorry to sound like Walter White in that Breaking Bad episode where he's like, look, this is the only the 57th deadliest plane crash in our nation's history or whatever. But I mean, uh, it's like really, well, I guess it's a high school class. I don't know. I guess that's sad. I mean, no one no one gave a shit about the high school baseball coach or softball coach or whatever, and his kid that died when Kobe Bryant's helicopter went down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't want to say nobody did, but I mean, obviously the discourse is yeah, R.I.P. The, the, the vast majority of people. Well, Alex can figure out who's going to die next because of the path of the explosion. So it, it had started at Todd's seat, and it had moved through Terry's seat, and next in line is Miss Luton who has a pretty elaborate death. She has, she has <laughs> this, a, is my, this is my favorite scene of the movie. Well, even really? the, dumbest, the, the dumbest part about it is like the lead up to it. So like she Oh, that's, goes, that's what makes it so great, is that <laughs> this entire scene is just so many things going wrong in her house that you think will be what kills her. <laughs> and then she, she ends up kind of dying by a combination of all of them. Yeah. But also well, kind of not. It's partially maybe like 0.5 of 1% Devin Sawa's fault, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, not really. Well, maybe no, a little he, bit. I don't he know. He just showed he, up, I guess. He kind of just showed up. Yeah. Well, but there, there's knives falling off of counters. There's <laughs> mugs. It's just so much. It, yeah. Well, my favorite part is like she <laughs> she fills a, a mug up with vodka and it cracks. <laughs> that's right and yeah the vodka mug, leaks yeah. across the floor from the kitchen and she holds it above her old <laughs> desktop computer and then it starts to smoke because it's like shorting out and then she goes to lean over it to check what's wrong and it explodes and it slices her throat mm. open and yeah she and you think walking. oh my god she's dead and then <laughs> that's the start of the death scene <laughs> yeah so she starts walking to the kitchen but then the trail of vodka catches on fire <laughs> and follows her to the kitchen <laughs> Where she kind of like collapses on the ground, I think, and she's and and now like half of her kitchen's on fire, and she's trying to reach a rag on the counter (laughs) to stop the bleeding. And she pulls over a whole thing of kitchen knives, and they all miss her except for one, which gets her right in the chest, square on her chest, (laughs) just like a perfect shot. I yeah. love it. And then Alex comes running in because he was let go by the FBI, which is not important at all. And he goes, oh, my God, I'm going to help you. But as soon as he shows up, the trail of fire that was leading into the kitchen <laughs> causes the oven to explode, knocking over a chair at the kitchen table, <laughs> which, lands, <laughs> which lands squarely on the knife handle and pushes it deeper into which, her chest. Did we even need that? Like, she's dead. There's no way she's surviving. She's she has a slit so throat. She's we don't, we don't need like, the... We don't need the knife to go one inch further into her body or one centimeter further. Like, she's dead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was great. I'm sorry, Val Luton, producer of Cat People, <laughs> and I walked with a zombie. Well, Alex 
leaves the house after he touches the knife, getting his fingerprints all over it. And he dives out the front door just as the oh, house Oh, we explodes. forgot to mention this. The, the reason she's drinking the vodka is she's taken it the hardest that she's survived. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. Because, she, like, survivor's guilt is hitting her, which could really be interesting, but we spend about 10 seconds on it and only with her. But mm-hmm. I think she's probably most guilty about it because she was the one that literally made the d- decision and said, Tom Green, you go back <laughs> on the plane. Yeah. You know? You know the French thing. So, I mean, that part makes sense. But, like, I don't know. It's an idea that could have been interesting. I'm prob- One of the sequels probably looks into it, but also might not because those sequels get really trashy and some of them don't give a shit at all about characters. So maybe they do <laughs> ignore that kind of thing. Wait, which sequel was the one where uh, uh, that girl got her head chopped off by the elevator? Do you remember? I do not remember that. There's so many scenes like that. I'm trying to think the third one is the big... I think the third one's the big roller coaster one, which that scene is I think so, so yeah. stupid. And the third one's the one that opens with... Uh, That's the, the, tan- the, the tanning bed death. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what else is in there. Is the third one the, the, the one that opens with the racetrack? And the second one's the one the big... No, third, on the third one's roller coaster. Second one is logs falling off of a truck. Yeah, yeah. Fourth or fifth must be racetrack. I can't remember which. The fifth one is like the Golden Gate Bridge collapsing or whatever. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> The the fifth one also has LASIK surgery go horribly wrong and murder someone. Yeah, it's great. How how many are there? Are there only five? Because I know there's. I think there's five. I'm actually shocked this hasn't been like remade or rebooted yet. I mean, we're already rebooting Saw. You know, there's a new one coming out in 2022. Okay, there we go. Yeah. But I I know the fifth one is like a prequel. Well, you Where... just spoiled it because that's not revealed until the end of the movie. I remember oh. that, <laughs> oh, which doesn't make any sense because they're, <laughs> I want to say they're using like iPhones and stuff the entire time. And then at the end of the movie, it's revealed that it's 2000. Like what? <laughs> I could be uh... mistaken about that, but I want to say that's definitely not too, we've seen how awful 2000 fashion is. This is in Final Destination 5 is not that. Yeah, there's no like frosted tips or anything in there. Yes, so Alex leaves her house just as it explodes, and he sees Stifler outside. He's like, hey, Alex, how's it going? And the house explodes. Who among us doesn't go for late-night bike rides? (laughs) I know, yeah. What's he doing there? (laughs) Just taking in the sights. Alex goes on a lamb. He goes into hiding because I think Stifler says in a later scene, the fire caramelized the blood, which like imprinted your footprint in the in the house next to Miss Luton. So Stifler, the douchey guy, and Clear go to find Alex uh, <laughs> to try to figure out what to do, how to get out of this whole death situation. And in the process of this, the douchey guy, he's going to die next. And he's just kind of driving erratically, and then he gets stuck on a train track because his car won't start. Yeah, he goes. Well, first off, he goes full soul taker and just needlessly drives like ninety. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we might as well, if I'm going to die next, I might as well die like this. I'm like, okay. Well, f- technically, they never confirmed that he would be the one that died next, which is kind of the twist of the scene, I guess. Well, Alex saves him. He pulls him out of the car just in time, and this train demolishes the car. Yeah. And as Stifler's complaining about the whole situation and the douchey guy, a piece of metal from the car was under the train, mm-hmm. and he gets kicked up and decapitates him. This is a less effective version of the bus scene. It's like you're supposed to think everything's okay, mm-hmm. and then it happens. Except this one doesn't work well enough because because he's like yelling at him for like a long time. It goes on for way too long. Yeah, if he's standing like one right thing, next to the train, yeah, exactly. You've had so much time to say like, why isn't he going further away from the train? Like it just goes on for so long. Yeah. 
After this, Alex realizes that the chain has... It hasn't been broken, but it's been skipped. So Douchey Guy was supposed to die, but because he didn't, Stifler got killed. So now Alex realizes that he's next. Yeah, because the whole thing is the line skips... If someone intervenes, they keep using that word, intervene. Yeah, which I mean, they could also just say, I saved this person, so we skipped. But anyways, yes. So well, if the, one... the intervene is like the fate thing, I guess. Why yeah, not? you know, it's a, it's a good three-letter word. Very Truman, Truman Show. Or three-point word, I should say. So yeah, three-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> three-point word, damn it. <laughs> so Alex realizes that he's next, and he goes to Clear's father's cabin to hide out and to live super safely. This um, scene's kind of fun. It is. It, it's kind of cute, actually. Because <laughs> it's like everything's a death trap when he's when <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's got things wrapped there. in towels, and he's wearing oven mitts to eat, uh, to eat like, canned yeah. tuna or something. But he realizes, oh, wait a minute, I'm not next because I changed seats. So it's actually clear that's next. The first time I saw this movie, I was so frustrated that it took him forever to realize that. Because they <laughs> I know. hammer that the importance of that switching seats in... Well, because you see it twice. Because you see it in the vision. And then it's like yeah. the first thing that happens when he wakes up, too. So it's like you remember that moment. And yeah. I don't know. It's just like, come on, Devin Sawa, I know. buddy. Yeah. Think a little harder, buddy. Well, one of my favorite dumb scenes happens here when Alex does realize that Clear's next and it cuts to Clear's house and she, out her bedroom window, is this electrified clothesline that's just spinning. Yeah. I forget what happens. It's like the power trips out. Because there's a storm. A, a there's line a gets lot cut. of wind. Oh, that's it. Yeah. A line gets cut and electrocutes the clothesline and spinning all around her house. <laughs> this, I love, I, this, I don't like this scene much first yeah. off it's it's um it's a terrible climax i'll put it that mm. way but it also the entire something about it too with the with the electricity going this feels so soundstage to me yeah yeah this feels like the scene in scream 3 when they're on the film set in the house this, this that's what this <laughs> visually that's what this looks like you know it, it looks like such a soundstage i don't know what it is yeah well it's also like everything's so over the top and, you know, you have this out of control. Oh, yeah. It, well, I guess it also kind of, <laughs> it's with the, again, with the sparks and stuff, it, and it's, it is very Universal Studios backlot tour kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. That's, yeah, that's exactly how the, I it, it. This is the number one attraction at the Dimension Films Studio Tour a lot. It's everyone's <laughs> favorite ride. <laughs> everyone's second favorite is the one where they go in a plane and it blows up, except nobody ever gets a second ride on that one. So. <laughs> not even sure this is dimension films now i feel bad she goes outside to save her dog who's going to get electrocuted by this crazy clothesline and in the act of saving her dog the clothesline flies out of the ground and punctures the pool and then water goes all over the place right. electrocuting oh, the ground. oh yeah that's right so she runs inside and hops in her car but <laughs> the cable starts bashing on the garage door and she mm -hmm. eventually gets the car out but it electrocutes the car <laughs> And then Alex runs up and goes, And he hey. says, you have to stay in the car because your <laughs> tires <laughs> yeah. are insulators. Yeah, because you're grounded. And she's like, okay. He goes, I'm going to grab the cable, but you have like just a few seconds to get out. And she goes, no, don't, Alex, don't. And he does it, and he gets shot back across the garage. <laughs> He's so stupid. <laughs> oh, and this is also when uh, Shrek shows up, too. Yeah, when yeah. the FBI guys show up, and they tell him not to do it. Like, don't I don't, do why it, are they dude. showing up to the house? Because she had told them the location of her dad's cabin where he was hiding out. Then as he ran out oh, the door, so they, they were chased following him. him. Yeah. Okay. 
But yeah, and then he goes full Doc Brown and Back to the Future where he grabs the score <laughs> and electrocutes himself and goes flying. Well, anyways, it looks like Alex is dead, but he isn't. We next catch up with Alex and friends in Paris. They've made a flight to Paris. The chain has been They've broken. They've also made friends with this asshole, which is yeah, you know, yeah. news to me. Yeah, so they're all hanging out at this cafe drinking beer. This is the least Parisian looking. I think Veronica may pull off Paris better than this movie. Like, this doesn't look <laughs> a thing like Paris or France or anywhere. It, yeah, I know. It's 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 literally a soundstage. You know, it's, with, it like, feels uh, so, this scene feels so cheap. Oh, it does. These last two scenes, I guess, together. (laughs) Well, they also do that thing that you do in a movie that's being filmed entirely on a soundstage where you dart your eyes around a lot and pretend that there's lots of things to see. Yeah, that's that's what it is. is There's like no extras that that's what it is more than anything. There's like nobody around. Well, just as the movie looks like it's it's wrapping up, Alex realizes that the chain isn't broken and that he's going to be the next one. And then because he intervened to save her so that he's next on the list again yeah so then clear sees she she gets a premonition of a bus again in a cafe window how crazy is that and she says alex look out and he gets tackled out of the way of the bus from the douchey guy yeah alex goes it's not me and the douchey guy goes who is it and it's that's after this sign has already fallen and is making the Mm -hmm. backswing and it just cuts (laughs) as the sign hits the douchey guy and that's it that's final destination i think my biggest problem with the ending is i didn't see anything in the climactic scene the universal Uh studios soundstage (laughs) scene to suggest you mean all the sparks weren't exciting no 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 no. I, i mean i mean i don't think that is an exciting scene but whatever regardless i didn't see anything in that scene to suggest that like hey we can now live like comfortably like safely yeah like it's just gonna come like i i don't understand the the reasoning there Maybe Tony Todd didn't explain things well enough. Oh, w- was it maybe that Alex had saved Clear? Because Alex she would have had to get clear, out of the but, car? But Alex was never saved, was he? No, but I think after he saved Clear, he was supposed to die. And maybe he did die briefly and then come back to life. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Oh, maybe they, yeah, I don't know. But bottom line is I, I just, I feel like it's premature celebration. This is Leon Lett holding out the ball before he crosses the goal line and someone comes in and, and death comes in and swats <laughs> it away for a safety or whatever, or a defensive <laughs> touchdown, whichever one. Well, Leon Lett is a defensive player, so it would have been an offensive touchdown. But yeah, I don't know. I, the, the movies, the last couple scenes of this movie, not very good. I mean, the ending is like what, I guess this is how you're going to end of, like the very ending, like the sign swinging at that guy. I guess that's how you're going to end a final destination. I'm I'm fine with that. But just the Paris stuff. Yeah. The climax is like the least exciting set piece in the movie, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it really shouldn't be. I mean, you, you want to avoid that kind of thing. No. But you, you have no. uh, the teacher getting killed is incredible. That's the it's most so exciting dumb. part. Well, I mean, there's the plane crash is great too. Oh yeah, we, we kind of we brushed over that just to get through it, but like that is a fun sequence. Yeah, watching everybody get sucked out and blood splattered all over people is is pretty exciting. And then the other couple of deaths we have are like the fake out or like I don't want to say fake out, but like the surprise ones because they're not the elaborate scenes. It's just like you know, woman gets hit by a bus. I guess the other one is a somewhat elaborate scene that's pretty exciting. The car stuck on the train tracks, but the death itself is sort of like the bus one. Yeah, but no, that's that's a fun scene too. Like I, yeah, I just really think the climax is so dumb. And just, I don't know. I mean, the movie's dumb. (laughs) You know? It is a dumb movie. I think it's a great idea. 
I agree. I, I do I do think this premise has a lot of potential. This is not personally, I don't think this is not the best film in the series. This is not the best film with this premise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, it's a good premise. Great X Files episode, I guess. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, my biggest complaint about the movie was by the end of it, the things leading up to the deaths were just so like ridiculous, like that fucking crazy spinning electrocuted clothesline. You know, it's like and the trail of vodka, the vodka yeah. fire. <laughs> well, that I liked because it was so ridiculous. Like that whole scene was just so. Yeah, th- stupid. those two those two scenes are very over the top. Mm-hmm. The other stuff really isn't. I mean, I maybe say the plane crash is, but I actually, as over the top as you might say it is, I think that's very effective because that's the first set piece we have, and it's yeah. done well, and it's done in a way where you can see what happens to like these different characters and stuff. And, and it's cool, too, because it's like it's a plane exploding. In theory, a plane explodes. Everyone dies the same way. But no, in, in this scene, we see we see people get sucked up. We see people get incinerated. We see yeah. stuff like flying around and hit people in the heads. Like it is, there's an incredible <laughs> variety even within that scene, which is which is just a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I was like, yeah, I have to watch Final Destination. And they're like, oh, the first one with the plane. <laughs> And like that's that's the scene that I feel like a lot of people remember from the first one, that and the bus. You kind of remember the Final Destination movies by the opening scene that sets it all up. You got plane exploding. You get uh, logs falling off a truck. You get yeah. the, ro- the roller coaster, roller coaster accident. You you, <laughs> get, you get the the um I was gonna say monster truck, but no, it's like a NASCAR kind of thing. And then and then you get the Golden Gate Bridge falling. <laughs> Like you kind of because those scenes are so elaborate and so impressive in their own ways. It's like that's kind of how you remember the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I I mean, Final Destination, fine movie. The thing I was surprised was when I was looking it up, it it had a budget of about 23 million and it made 113 million. It was like 112.9. I mean, it got four sequels. I mean, I knew it was successful. The next one had about the same budget, I think it was about $24 million. and it made, I think it grossed only about $90 million worldwide, which was the lowest of all the sequels, but the third movie also had a budget of roughly the same. Now give me a second, I think I wrote it down. Third one's a classic. Third one also, this was when they started shooting scenes, this might be the only movie that does it, but they shot scenes that never were going to make it into the movie just so they could do a Choose Your Own Adventure DVD, and if the... the the scene comes up on your DVD. You're like, okay, should this person live or die? And <laughs> you say like, okay, let's see what happens if they live. So you click that and then they just die in an overly elaborate way later on in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, you know, that's a great DVD feature. Like that's oh, just sure. awesome. That's really cool. Well, that's, I don't know. That's all I really got to say about Final Destination. Final Destination's okay. I don't love it. it I don't hate it. No, it's I definitely remember liking it. It's probably not the more. worst in the series. So, 1968, Night of the Living Dead, from director George A. Romero, who I don't believe is referenced in Final Destination. That's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. We got Hitchcock, we got Shrek, we, we, got, <laughs> we, we got everybody but Romero, it seems like. There's a carpenter, I think there's a carpenter, someone's carpenter, I think. Okay, while, while you're doing this, I'm going to look up the cast. Okay. For... No, my favorite was uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, because they named someone after John Waters, and I'm like, what? John Waters isn't even a horror director. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That doesn't even make sense. Anyways, Night of the Living Dead, a 
classic film, a zombie film, black and white, independent, shot in the Pittsburgh area. Mr. Rogers may or may not have been on set. Probably wasn't. But I wish he was. You know, did you know that George A. Romero got his start with uh, working with Mr. Rogers? No, he didn't really. Yeah, because they're both from the Pittsburgh area. And Romero, I think like the first camera he ever used, maybe the camera that he's using to shoot this movie was like lent to him from Mr. Rogers or something. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, by the way, is there uh, are there any famous Terry Chaney's? Ch- How's Chaney spelled? That's a weird... C-H-A-N-E-Y. What about Todd Wagner? W-A-G-G-N-E-R. Yes, Wagner. There's a Wagner somewhere. I think he directed... I mean, it's not Todd, but I think a Wagner directed The Wolfman, if I'm not mistaken. What about Larry Murnau? F.W. Murnau. Yeah, that one's easy. Uh, there's Director Agent... Of, um, Faustus or Faust or whatever. What? Who? What? Yeah, yeah. who's the other agent? I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Vine? W-E-I-N-E? that's i think that's a producer somewhere i mean obviously they're going german maybe that's the guy that did cabinet of dr calgary murnau did nosferatu murnau uh-huh. worked with shrek there's dreyer d-r-e-y-e-r carl theodore director okay. which that's so how are you claiming that guy is a horror director he made vampire <laughs> sure but he made the passion of joan of arc that's what he's best known for like come on I mean, like, Hitchcock is okay because, like, Psycho is that big, even though most yeah. of his movies weren't horror movies. Like, Psycho is that famous and that great. That's it. Anyways, so Night of the Living Dead. I, I like to think that Mr. Rogers is a big fan of Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> I don't know for certain. You know, even more so, like, because, you know, this is like a horror movie, and this was, you know, this is pretty intense in 1968. This still feels like kind of like a movie that mr rogers could get behind because it's the importance of it's about the importance of teamwork and working together and being kind to your neighbor and how whenever they don't do that everything goes to shit you know it takes a neighborhood you know to make it through uh, a situation like that and these people clearly didn't uh, stick together or a violent armed militia apparently <laughs> but even the, the bigger thing is i want to know because this movie again but the black and white kind of hides the gruesomeness, if you will, of this story. Mm-hmm. It is zombies eating people, and we do get a pretty awesome scene of zombies eating flesh, and it's adorable. <laughs> uh, because they're just yeah. chewing on some ham bone kind of thing. And yeah, it looks like somebody, every, they're all sitting down to eat, like, uh, KFC at a picnic. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, and then, but in color... The Romero zombie movies are, like, insane. I, I want to know, even more so than knowing that Mr. Rogers enjoyed this movie, I want to know that Mr. Rogers was a big fan of Day of the Dead, the 1985 <laughs> Romero zombie movie, because that movie, it's one of the more violent motion pictures I've seen, for sure. <laughs> so Night of the Living Dead, we open with Barbara and Johnny, brother and sister, heading to the grave of their father to just kind of visit it. I, it's his birthday or something. Yeah. And they're, when they're in the car, they turn off the radio when they're saying something about, like, oh, apologies for, like, we couldn't, we had something that we had to, I don't know. They turn off the radio, and the radio's clearly talking about something that they should be paying attention to. We don't realize that at the time. When they're at the grave, they start kind of reminiscing. Johnny starts teasing Barbara. We get the famous, they're coming to get you, Barbara, line, and... <laughs> <laughs> I like that he points to that one guy who's like wandering off in the distance. Look, he's that, that's him. He's coming to get you. And then it just he happens to be a zombie. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> it's so great. Yes, yeah, so the zombie attacks and, you know, 
Johnny fights it, and Johnny gets knocked out or dies. We find out later he's dead, but, you know, maybe someone came and ate his foot later on. We don't know. But he hits his head (laughs) on a gravestone of some sort. So Barbara gets away. She gets into the car, which she doesn't have the keys for, so she, thankfully, they're parked on a hill, which I didn't notice. (laughs) You you don't notice they're really on a hill until she needs to pull the emergency brake and just kind of drift away, just like Uncle Cracker. (laughs) Then the zombie, I'm pointing this out because it's important later, zombie picks up a rock and starts trying to get in through the car window that way. He starts banging around. It's important because we don't think, I feel like most zombie things, zombies don't use tools, most Mm -hmm. of them. This is, I mean, we have to point out, this is like the first occurrence of this type of zombie, like the zombies that we now know and love. It's basically comes from this movie, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, what what would have been the big one before this? Like, I walked with a zombie? Well, zombies before this are basically entirely different creatures or monsters or whatever you want to call them. Because I don't know, like, Haitian folklore, you know, mm-hmm. as, you know, some white guy from the Midwest. <laughs> what do I know about Haitian or, or voodoo or any of that <laughs> stuff? I know voodoo is spelled differently than you think it is. I do know that. This is a U in there somewhere. No, there isn't, is there? Yeah, so, so like, you get a few zombie movies before this. You get um, I Walked with Zombie, which was produced by Valerie Luton, the uh, <laughs> the teacher who has a drinking problem and burns her house down. <laughs> you have White Zombie, which is probably the most famous or well-regarded zombie movie before this, and that's Bela Lugosi. In that movie, which I remember a lot better, I know I've seen I, Walk, I Walked with a Zombie, but I don't remember it that well. White zombie is he's like it's like mind control like the the zombie is like a slave controlled by a voodoo priest a Haitian yeah. voodoo priest which is played by this Hungarian dude and uh, we're just not supposed to ask questions <laughs> uh, but that, that's a pretty good movie but I mean obviously zombies nowadays are they're first of all they're I mean this is more true like ten years ago but I think they're kind of still just about the biggest thing in horror yeah probably I mean that they've probably held that spot for close to 15 years now maybe at least a decade well well i mean it helps that vampires were snatched by teen romance novels you know like (laughs) the the vampire needs i'm I'm, i've never been a big vampire fan but vampires need some lifting up we need more blade sequels that's what we need (laughs) (laughs) sure why not well what, what are the big ones we've got zombies we've got vampires we've got werewolves which have never really been that big they're Mummies always they're never, always there. Never that big. 1981, they were huge because that's the year of an American werewolf in London <laughs> and The Howling for some reason. Like arguably the two greatest werewolf movies ever. Uh, no. Other what than about that, werewolves uh, what, have all been? What about mummies the fucking... are dead. Mummies are gone. They're they're never coming back. Tom Cruise killed them. <laughs> Though I will say the Brendan Fraser mummy movies loved. Them. Well, the first one I loved. I will say. One yeah, of my and then, but Tom Cruise has happened since then, so so mummies are gone. <laughs> Creature from the Black Lagoon, kind of back with the shape of water, you know? Yeah, yeah, people He's are into sort fish. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess Godzilla is in, Godzilla, Kong, that stuff. Those guys are in. Kaiju, kind of. Pacific Rim was, I mean, that was Pacific Rim was almost 10 years ago at this point, but that movie was big. Ghosts are out. People aren't scared about uh, by ghosts anymore. Now, I think the other big thing other than zombies is like serial killers. Well, serial killers of... But they're not really a monster. I, you know. No, well, well, I, I guess mean, they are. But, but we're talking about like <laughs> things in horror. Like serial killers have kind of... I think they've kind of always been in once we started depicting them. Like, once you get your psycho and peeping Tom, it feels like they never really leave. 
Then you get, like, obviously your Halloween, all your Friday the 13th, all of that garbage, which I can say because I love those movies, but they're trash. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then, like, all that stuff. And then, you know, okay, Scream. Serial killers are in. They're fun. I mean, everybody loves a good serial killer. Would you call Us a serial killer movie, or would you call it, like, um... I mean, Us is kind of its own. I mean, not every move not every horror movie fits into these things that we're talking about you know you know what i mean yeah like where do you put blair witch project is that ghost is that that witch is it neither i mean you know you know the the last (laughs) what about about, what about like freddy he's he's like his own thing (laughs) like he's he's a crazy killer but he's also a monster you know, kind of its own thing. The last great run that, uh, like, ghosts had would have been those terrible fucking, um, what were they called? Not poltergeist. Well, the Paranormal Activity. Paranormal Activities, yeah. You get the Conjuring, though, too, with the Annabelle movies. I think ghosts are more in than you're giving them credit for. What about, um... I mean, they're technically demons in the con, but you, they're all the same thing. Ghosts, demons, poltergeists. Yeah, yeah, and w- what about horror movies that take place on, like, fucking, like, um, technology stuff? Like, what's that terrible one that came out, like, three or four years ago where that fat kid puts his hand in the blender? Oh, you know well, that's about? a ghost movie. It just happens to be over. Uh, well, I mean, even since then, we had Host, which is the movie that was made by people during the COVID lockdowns. Hmm. And so they made it over Zoom. And you have Bad Ben 7. Or no, not Bad Ben 7, The Haunted Highway. Bad Ben Pandemic, which is an awful <laughs> movie, but... Anyway, so zombies use tools. It's important later. I mean, <laughs> important. I mean, we. I don't know if it's important. We see it later, just so you're not confused, because we're not just used like to zombies. Zombies usually just walk around and do absolutely nothing, and yet they're every time they show up, they're a threat to end the world. Because I guess this is how fragile the world is. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, to be fair, like zombies, zombies by themselves, to me, anyways, and I maybe I'm in the minority. Zombies are boring. Yeah. I don't like zombies. I think they're what makes a good zombie is and especially because part of what makes them boring, too, is every zombie story is basically the same story. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I totally agree with you. Even if you're presenting it in a completely different like Shaun of the Dead comedy, it's the same zombie kind of story as any other zombie kind of thing is. Even when you've got fast zombies and 28 Days Later or World War Z or whatever, it's like the same general plot. But, yeah, it's just like that the stakes are higher. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, sometimes you, World War Z is like more on a global scale, and 28 Days Later is, we understand it to be on a global scale, but it's told from the ground. I don't like zombies that much, but zombies being what they are do lend stories incredible creative freedom for a bunch of different things whether you want to do satire or just like uh, satire and allegory really are like the big Mm -hmm. things i mean you're you're not getting a lot of political allegories out of nazi zombies probably (laughs) i mean there's the obvious but because it's because it's you know they're nazis but sure it's like oh what was it? Wasn't it somebody like the the creator of like the Nazi zombies thing in Call of Duty? Wasn't it somebody like was like, oh, the two things that no one will ever be mad about you killing are Nazis and zombies. And isn't that like the amount of thought that went into that? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember exactly <laughs> how it happened, but that's yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, and then so okay, so zombies. But you see 
Dawn of the Dead has some satire to it, Day of the Dead, you know, all that stuff. The Romero zombies, the first three Romero zombie movies, incredible movies, all of them, and they're mm-hmm. all great, not because of the zombies, but the zombies are like the backdrop for these human stories being told, especially this one, this movie. Yeah, just like um, uh, The Walking Dead, your favorite TV show, Patrick. I've never seen an episode. <laughs> Don't lie to me. Check, check that. I've seen, seen I've seen the pilot. I have seen yeah. the pilot. And it was good. It was actually very good. I understand the show turns to shit sometime later. Yeah. Now, see, I agree with you on all your points about zombies and zombie movies. Uh, we actually had this conversation probably like a month ago or something or a similar conversation. But at a certain point, you just kind of run out of material with these conflicts between the survivors you know and that's what's happened with the walking well, that's Dead. i never got yeah into that's got to be the you know in your when you're on your 35th season you know when you're yeah. running simpsons deep in terms of the amount of episodes you've had yeah you're running that's why this is perfect as a 96 minute movie or whatever it is you know it, it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome by any means yeah you know, and I actually really appreciate the um, the pacing of this movie, too, because it's like you jump right in. It's not quite an in medias res opening because these characters don't know what's going on. So it's not like they, you know, but we see what happens. And once Barbara gets into the farmhouse, then we learn more stuff. And I like how the information's doled out. Some of it we see visually, like when Ben, uh, there's this scene when, when the zombies are coming through the window and... That guy Tom is like hacking away at, at a zombie's finger mm-hmm. and it keeps coming and then Ben starts shooting it. Nothing really happens. Then he finally shoots it in the head and then the zombie's gone. It's, you know, it's on the ground out cold. And I'm like, okay. So we, we learn that stuff visually. A lot of the other stuff we're told via either television or radio, which I think is, you know, maybe it's easy, but it's effectively handled that, that kind of exposition delivery stuff and it makes it feel real. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah so i i really appreciate the pacing here you know it's we're not like this is uh i i think this is a really good way to do and i'm sure it's small be somewhat because of the budget but this is a really good way to tell this kind of story on a very very small scale yeah and i think that's the most effective way to tell almost any zombie story probably yeah i, I don't know i mean like i'm just thinking of like other i mean walking dead i've, I've never i mean world war z is like they went for their, like, Independence Day-type scale of that story, and I don't think it's very good. A lot of people like it. I don't think anyone on Earth who's seen both this and World War Z would say would say World War Z is better, but, you know. All right, so once in the house, Barbara unfortunately kind of becomes useless. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it is an understatement because it, I want to say I read something or maybe saw an interview from Romero where he confessed that, like, that was his biggest regret, was just not writing a better female character. I don't know if I imagined that or just heard other people complaining about that or if Romero did actually say that. But, I mean, that's 100% the case here. This Once we meet Ben, who's Dwayne Jones, who's awesome, he's great, he's the best actor in the movie, once mm-hmm. we meet him, she's completely useless. She's in hysterics for half of it. You know, she she goes like a good 40 minutes or so without a single line. <laughs> it's probably not quite that long, but it feels it. Yeah. And it's just un- unfortunate, you know. I do like the idea of like this person that we think is the main character just ends up not really be once we meet someone else. It's like, okay, this person's going to be the main character now. But it's, there's something kind of, I think I've talked about this before, but there's something almost like realist about that in a way because 
we're we're kind of predisposed to associate with like the first per- first couple of people that we meet on screen and it's like okay we're going to be following these people in the story okay that uh, johnny dies okay we're st- we still got barbara that's fine and then barbara doesn't die for a long time it's just she just becomes less important i mean because ben shows up and he you know takes the reins and i kind of like that i just wish it was written better so that we could i, I would have liked barbara dying earlier really yeah, she's just kind of like a flower that you watch slowly wither away throughout the whole movie. The only female character that I do... Well, actually, I guess I like, uh, what's his name, Tom? I actually don't mind either of the other two Girl. women. I think they're fine. I just think Barbara sucks, unfortunately. And you don't think she's going to suck, too, which is disappointing. I know, yeah. Yeah, she starts out kind of cool. She, she kind of goes downhill for me, and I'm sure it was only because of the... Um, I don't know, the budget or whatever, but when she crashes the car when she's going down the hill, like that is like the weakest, slowest crash and where she kind of like glides up against the tree and the... Yeah, <laughs> the whole... well, they didn't have power <laughs> steering back then, you know. <laughs> and then she kind of hops out. It's like, ah, 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 like runs to a farmhouse. I actually enjoyed the part of her... No, I, I really enjoyed the part of her actually running to the farmhouse and kind of sneaking around it and getting in it and finding the body mm-hmm. upstairs and stuff. Oh, yeah, that um, body yeah, upstairs. That's a good good old jump scare there. The body yeah, with, it's like, disgusting. peeled away face. It's pretty yeah. freaking gruesome for 68. It's one of the more disgusting things you'll see in, in a black and white movie. But, yeah, you're right. She's very uh, underutilized, and she she plays the part of scared woman. Yes, and that's time. that's what makes it unfortunate is that it's a woman. You know if this were a male character, they wouldn't act this way. Yeah. Or to be fair, I think it's perfectly reasonable that one person could witness this and just kind of lose it. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't think that's unreasonable, it's, but it's just unfortunate that all the other characters are working well within the story and she just isn't. Well, it's also unfortunate because... She's as useless I... as the daughter who's been a zombie the entire time. We didn't realize <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's unfortunate because old barbs you know she's clearly distraught from seeing her brother get mauled by a zombie and and she could get over that but or she she could learn to live with that and learn to live in the situation but unfortunately she's she's got lines that make her seem more like a mental patient yeah well um, i mean uh, i don't know yeah sounds like it's been a a issue that she's been struggling with for a while yeah well because i'm trying to think what was the scene oh they're trying to get the uh the fuel for the truck I mean, spoilers, after it exploded, he's like, we need another way out. Can we get to your car? He's talking to Mr. Cooper. And Barbara says, I've got a car. Johnny's got the keys. Johnny's got the keys. Whenever she talks specifically about Johnny, she's just in that kind of like far off place, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for a while, you really do just think it's Ben and Barbara. And they're they're hanging out in the house. I mean, they're hanging out. Ben <laughs> is clearly a lot more with it than Barbara. Barbara's not saying a whole lot. Ben's the one trying to barricade the place, trying to defend himself. And eventually the two of them actually talk, and we we learn a bit about how Ben ended up there. The reason I like Ben that came, came to that house is that there is a gas pump outside, which I don't know if this is like a rural living, like a, a literal farmhouse might would probably have used for this i don't know how common it was yeah i mean i would i mean i would assume like a gas tank where a tractor would fill up or something no yeah but i mean i guess this is you're probably really in the middle of nowhere if you can't get to it yes but then you know 1968 maybe the house is built in the 40s who knows you know but so he stops there because he sees the gas the gas pump but he can't get into the gas pump because it's locked 
And then this is when Barbara starts talking about like how she ended up here, which is, of course we already saw. And it's a lot of like, oh, Johnny, Johnny, you know. And then she's like, no, Johnny's still alive. We need to go get him. We need to go find him. And then, you know, Ben <laughs> slaps her around a bit. Yeah, he pulls a real Sean Connery on uh, on. Yeah, he goes Sean Connery. He goes Ike <laughs> Turner. He goes Bobby Brown. However you want to describe it. Which that this always bothered me that Ike Turner is like the reference for like yeah the person who beats. In, in this case, it's not his wife, obviously, but like we know so many wife beaters. Like <laughs> historically speaking, like why is yeah. Ike always the go-to? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Because you just got I mean, Chris name. Brown. Yeah, Chris Brown. So Ben manages to get the radio on, and at this point, there's like seven, eight, ten zombies kind of hovering around outside, and he's got the radio on, and they're listening to again. There's the word zombie isn't used in the entire movie, mm-hmm. and ghouls. they're later <laughs> a little later on they're referred to as ghouls. And I, I want to point this out too because this is a thing when everything everybody like okay i'll give this movie a pass because we never knew zombies to be anything like this before this movie so i'm not blaming them for not using the word zombies but everybody knows what a zombie is nowadays you don't need to act like you're being cool or artsy if you're making a zombie movie but oh we're not going to call them zombies we're going to call them walkers (laughs) because that's that's what the walking dead does right (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the yeah. well, twenty eight days later, it kind of gets an excuse because they they don't they're essentially zombies, but they don't really you know they're like running around like okay that's not really what we know zombies to be, so I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, I, I was thinking more about World War Z, sorry Z. Well, yeah, don't they call them Z's or something like that? Uh, they do like some yeah. stupid thing. Yeah, yeah, is it Z's? Probably. I mean, if you're in Canada, I re- they refer to they refer to someone turning into a zombie as turning Z or going Z or something, which is so like the ridiculous. dumbest sounding thing. But yeah, they're walkers in The Walking Dead, right? Yeah. Oh, because we got don't crawlers. need to use the words. But but like The Walking Dead, it should. I mean, I haven't seen it, but it should exist if it's supposed to be relatable to us. It should exist in a world where we know what a zombie is, you know. So if something turns up in the real world and it strongly resembles something from Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, we're, we would call it a zombie. We wouldn't mm-hmm. call it something stupid, is my point. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so the radio's talking about, at first they're not, the radio doesn't even talk about these things as being dead. They're just, they're, they're talking about like an epidemic of murder. Yeah, I, I like how they're calling them assailants, assassins. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they're using words like that. You know, we don't get to ghouls yet. And then they also mention that there's like some kind of like some people from NASA are being brought into the White House to talk about shit. Yeah. And I actually, <laughs> there was more attention to that than I remembered there being in this movie. There, There's a lot more going on with the sci-fi stuff than I than I had remembered. And honestly, I wish there was less. Really? I would kind of like there, because there's no explanation at the start of the movie. Eventually, mm-hmm. we get we get exposition. We don't get that much in explanation. We eventually get a little bit of explanation. And it's a very, like, space race type explanation, so it kind of dates the yeah. movie a bit. But it's also like, I don't think we need that. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could have been anything. It could have also, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Romero could have come up with any idea. But for some reason, you're right. It, it is like this space race centric explanation i thought it was kind of neat but i do i do get your point yeah like it didn't really need to be there so eventually we meet some more characters who are hiding out in the cellar we got mr cooper (laughs) who's the bald guy i mean he looks like a cooper to me he does yeah uh he's the one of the most frustrating characters in the history of film (laughs) 
and he's all the more frustrating because he's 100% right <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, and then he and then he's got his you think they're friends but really I think they just like ran into each other and met when they're all running from the from the walkers. Mm-hmm. And that's this guy Tom who gives a real Burt Ward as Robin vibe. I think maybe because he's a lot shorter than everybody else. He's, he's just I don't know. Reminded of Burt Ward. <laughs> so you got these two. They're hiding in the cellar. They're in Ben's like, why, why didn't you come help us? And they're like, oh, you know, they they keep they switch back and forth between, oh, it was so loud. We, you know, we, we heard all the screaming. We thought maybe the zombies were already here and killing people and we would just get killed if we came up. And then they're also like, oh, no, it was we couldn't hear anything down there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ben's just calling them out left and right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Ben, ben is I love ben's savagery if you will like he's just he tells it like it is he he doesn't give two fucks he's great and we haven't obviously pointed out but like ben Dwayne jones the actor playing ben is african-american this is significant i mean granted the movie looks older than it actually is because it's black and white and it's not shot on great quality film and since this is public domain like i think a lot of the versions you see of it aren't very good like Mm -hmm. i have this on dvd from one of those like 50 movie packs and it looks like it looks terrible but like (laughs) (laughs) so the the first time i ever saw the movie i saw it on that and i'm like this looks like a movie from like the 30s and like no i've seen it on prime i've seen it on shutter since then it looks better than that but i mean it looks it looks strange seeing that because we're not used to seeing that in in a black and white movie this black guy bossing around these white guys and i think supposedly romero he he claims he cast Dwayne jones because he was just the best actor for the part which might be true like i said i think he's the best actor in this movie but there there also a lot of people have speculated obviously that there is some kind of meaning to the to him being black and and certainly makes the ending feel differently yeah, uh, you know, I I wish I had never heard of of these uh, uh, rumors kicking around about it. If Romero says he cast him because he was the best actor to play that role, then I will believe him. Um, well, I've be- also seen people that knew Romero was saying like, yeah, they, he was just saying that so that like he wasn't getting all this praise for for helping out a black. So who who knows? I don't know. Uh, but it is like I cannot. I mean, I've seen movies that are older than this, obviously that you know have black people even have black people in leading roles but all of those movies like all the sydney poitier movies those are all like about race those are about black people and white people clashing you know the to kill a mockingbird type movies this movie at least on its surface isn't about that and i I think that's significant that this is whether or not it truly was this is kind of the first if you will colorblind casting because this this is Mm -hmm. the thing that people have talked about or people talk used to talk about this with like will smith back in the day when will smith was like the biggest movie star in the world i heard people talk about like will smith was the first black superstar to truly be like cast in a colorblind way where like this one role could have been for a white person or a black person they gave it to will smith you you look at and you think like that can't be true but then you're like thinking of the other big act it's like okay a lot of denzel movies he's very specifically playing a black person you know yeah and it's like yeah maybe that's true which is crazy to think about that but yeah i don't know if i don't know you know what to make of it i don't know if romero when he says that if he's being genuine or if he's really just not trying to hog all the attention for 
for this good deed that he did, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I just want to clarify when I said earlier, I don't remember my exact phrasing, but I said, you know, I, it kind of ruined the end of the movie for me. The whole question. You mean like it spoiled not... it, probably, right? No, no, no. I, I, I ruined it as in where I was more thinking about how, how, how one is supposed to read this and how... Um, okay. Stuff like that, other than just thinking about the humanity and the mm-hmm. problems with people, I guess, in a in an epidemic like this, mm-hmm. rather than that ending, which, you know, again, is that what Romero meant by the end of it? Or, you know, did he mean the whole race question? Well, we, we can talk about that, certainly, when we get to the ending. But I'm, I'm pointing this out because, like, even in these intense arguments we have with Cooper and with Ben, you can maybe say it's subtext, but there's never, like, any effort from Cooper, who's a genuine asshole. Like, yeah. you know, if you write a character like this in a, in a movie, he's going to be a racist like that. Cause, I mean, yeah. But he never first... he never says anything about Ben. And I, and so so it definitely seems like it, it was written to just be a person. You know, it didn't matter what race he was when writing yeah, but, I mean, you know, maybe later on somewhere during production, it's like, no, it actually means something more if we have a black guy in this role. Maybe again, maybe Dwayne Jones was the best actor because mm-hmm. he is good. I also think the dude playing Cooper is pretty good. He, I mean, he, he plays a great asshole. He does. He is genuinely <laughs> one asshole. of the like you want to <laughs> punch him in the face. And eventually he does get punched in the face several times. and It's wonderful. Yeah. He does not get punched in the face as, I mean, visually, it doesn't look like he's punched as hard as Barbara is, though, so that's a little weird. (laughs) Barbara Uh, gets smacked. Yeah, after she smacks Ben. She gives him a good smacking for not letting her out to go save her brother. Yeah, but, I mean, he he clocks her. (laughs) Well, I think he slaps her and then goes closed fist and knocks her to the ground, yeah. And she faints or is knocked out or something or just gives up. And falls asleep. I don't know. Gives up and falls asleep is a good, Barbara treated is a good way to say like shit out. both by the script and by the other characters, honestly. <laughs> but Judy's nice to her. You know, Helen's nicer. Helen's the really nice one. Helen and is so it, cool. Yeah, like these are the other these are the other characters. We've got Judy, who I guess is dating Tom, or maybe they're married. And then we got Helen Cooper, who's Cooper's wife, obviously, and is not nearly the miserable prick that he is. She seems just fine normal person is genuinely like she she feels bad when she hears that barbara lost her brother and then of course the coopers also have one kid downstairs who's sick so all the debates going on here it's basically just a giant argument about where's the better place to stay do we stay upstairs where we can see the zombies through the windows but also, if something happens, we can potentially get out and you know go somewhere. We also have the television and the radio up here. Or do we stay downstairs where we're better barricaded? There's only one entrance in, but we're kind of screwed every other way. And what I love about this, what I love about movies that do something like this, is that both sides make so much sense. Yeah. Like, there is a very strong argument for either case, especially when you get that added, you know... Ben is like defending the upstairs and he's like, I'm not letting you take the TV or the radio down. I'm fighting for those up here. Once you get, because you think if you get TV and radio downstairs, maybe that tips the scale. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Probably not because you still can't really get out. But at any rate, I mean, this is a, this is a 50-50 thing. And, and I'm with Ben because I like Ben because he's not a prick. <laughs> yeah. But I can understand where Cooper's coming from. Cooper's problem is that he genuinely seems to not care at all. I mean, it, bad first impression, right? When you hear when you hear the woman screaming and just don't go up to see 
if anything's wrong. He's also a tough character because he is such an asshole, but he's also a father. He is a father. Yeah, yeah, that's the point, too, is that the, the daughter's sick. So, like, it makes sense. They can't really, even if they hear on the news that they're supposed to go somewhere, like, they really take her anywhere. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. I don't know. So there is there is an added thing there. And there's also a great line, too. Cooper says, we should go down to the cellar because these flimsy boards aren't going to hold them back they flipped my car we just barely got out of there yeah and ben says what are you talking about i just ran outside and killed two of them i beat them to death with a rock you know Mm -hmm. and like and he's right about that too you know it's just really neat it's just like a really neat argument that they're having it's really cool absolutely and this is the heart of the movie i mean most of the rest of the movie is this debate one way or the other and then it's like more like the only reason ultimately that cooper doesn't stay in the cellar is because his wife wants to go up there and Mm -hmm. and because they have the television and the radio so they kind of just trade off who's got daughter watching duties there and you know they get judy to help out yeah then they decide because well they see in in the television we get more exposition from the TV. This is when we get the ghouls. This is when we learn that they're actually, no, these are previously dead people that are getting up and that are eating other people. Every single, you know, dead body we have has bite marks all over it. You know, all that stuff. We get our, you know, all the needed exposition to know exactly what the hell these zombies things are. And then we also got the, um, is radiation from some satellite thing that came back and like, eh, I could take or leave that as I mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. The dude on the TV is like, okay, we originally told you to to barricade yourselves somewhere. Now we're actually telling you to go to these various like rescue stations. And so everyone's like, okay, we we need to go. And it's like, but we don't really have gas. But then they find the key for the gas pump and they're ready to go. There's also more from the television. We meet this, um, would you, I, I used the word militia earlier, posse. I think posse is probably the better word. Because well, it's they like, do it's like the sheriff, refer to the guy right? as like the sheriff. Yeah. So yeah. but but I mean, he has the no one's in uniform. It has the look of like a, a crazy kind of right wing militia <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, it, yeah, whether it or not that's, it's meant to look like that. That's that itself kind of carries some meaning to it is that, that these guys are just going around. And this is he said he says that I, I actually really like the actor that plays this sheriff guy. As for all I know, this is the only movie he's ever in. He doesn't seem like he's like a real actor, but he's just, I don't know, he's just good. And when he's talking about, here's how you take him out. You shoot him in the head or you burn him or, you know, severe trauma to the, you know, bash him in the head enough. And it's just, I, I like his line delivery. It's very natural. It doesn't feel like he's, he doesn't seem like an actor. He seems like just a person. You know, like Yeah, that. yeah. There's also a line. In it. And again, this is another one of those things where, I think I heard someone talking about this, but I may have just imagined it. But his line delivery when when they ask him, I think someone screwed up a line. And I'm not sure if he screwed it up or if the guy on the news screwed it up. But he says something, the, the news guy asks him, like, so are they all slow moving or something along those lines? And then his response is like a weird answer to that question. He's just like, yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up he kind of has that hesitation and i'm not sure if it's he forgot his line and just kind of improvised and it felt natural enough or if 
it, I, I have a feeling the person asking the question asked the wrong question. I think that person screwed up their line. Oh. I think he, his his answer was supposed to be like, and are all these people, were all these people dead or something? And so I think that, but I, it, oh, something about yeah. that feels very real to me, that this is just live on television news, you know, when you're just talking to a guy. Like, I don't know. I, I really like that scene. That's what this movie did really well, too, all the, all the television news stuff. So the game plan is for Ben and Tom to go out and get gas... And then also for Cooper to throw Molotov cocktails to kind of give them some room. Judy ends up running out there to join Tom ill-advisedly. <laughs> and then it's a combination. I like this too, that they screw up horribly in the car. <laughs> the truck ends up blowing up. But it's also like it's not one person's fault, you know? Yeah. I'm assigning zero blame to Judy in this case because she doesn't do anything wrong. She just gets in the truck. I'm going to say it's, I think it's more Ben's fault than Tom's. Ben's the one who puts the torch on the ground when they're trying to get gas into a vehicle. I think it's, I think it's Ben's fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to say that. Well, he also <laughs> shoots the pump, which can't be a good thing to do. <laughs> no. Because he, because the, because the key ended up not working. So he has to like shoot it open. I'm like, that's probably not good. Yeah. Well, you, you know, when you pull up to a gas station, they have the signs. It's like no smoking, no shooting, no. Yeah. Yeah. No matches. shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no setting torches on the ground. Please. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I uh, I did like how that scene played out. It was just kind of like a bunch of errors or a, yeah. a bunch of and lapses like, in judgment I, came together too. Yeah, and I but but it's also it's like it's lapses in judgment. But I, I, honestly, I feel bad kind of saying that because these people are freaking desperate. Like, what the hell mm-hmm. are they going to do if they don't do this? So, anyways, truck blows up because because Tom spills gas when he's trying to get gas into the truck, and also because he spills gas onto the torch that <laughs> Ben had set down. Ben set down the torch so he could more accurately aim his gun at the oncoming zombies. So, I mean, it's like all of this stuff is like kind of understandable. You you yeah. you wish you had a better spot to put the torch, but he also needed to have it like in grabbing range, like he needed to be able to get to it quickly. Yeah, which and I don't know if we've explained this already, but. Zombies are afraid of fire. Yeah, everybody's afraid of fire. We don't need to explain Frankenstein. That. Not the Invisible yeah, Man. Frankenstein's though. kind of a zombie. Sort of. Or what about Evil Dead? Are those guys zombies? Oh, man. I'd say sure. I'm going to say they are. Technically, they're possessed by demons. They're Kandarian demons. But they act the same. I mean, they don't act the same as zombies. But if a person gets killed by them, they come back. You know, that's zombie. That's a zombie. That's also vampires, but whatever. By the way, I'd also call Frankenstein a zombie, too. Is Frankenstein an Easter movie? <laughs> what is... Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Can every church <laughs> and every major news network show Frankenstein at Easter? Yeah, you know, not just... I mean, people don't even show it around Halloween. I mean, TCM's like the only, the only network that would dare air an old movie like that. <laughs> So, yeah, we needed right. We needed an Easter too. Um, you folks, Ben Mankiewicz or whoever. I mean, I'm sure Ben Mankiewicz doesn't pick the programming for Turner Classic Movies, but please show Frankenstein and Reanimator both at Easter. <laughs> Would TCM ever show Reanimator? Probably not. They showed Final Exam though. If you show Final Exam, you better show Reanimator. I don't know what the hell Final Exam <laughs> is doing on that network. <laughs> So Ben runs back to the house, pursued slowly, of course, by the zombies, but he's locked out. It's because that freaking prick Cooper was, like, giving up on him. But Ben is able to get in right as Cooper's about to go down to the cellar. 
and Cooper reluctantly helps him kind of board up the house again. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Ben starts beating the shit out of Cooper. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and he has that great line, you know, I ought to drag you out there and feed you to those things. And it's like, in this case, 100%, yeah. Cooper gave up way, it was way too premature to give up. <laughs> Especially because it's like, it's one thing if you see the car blow up and you're like, oh, everyone was in there. I, he could see that Ben wasn't in there. I think yeah. Ben's holding a freaking torch, like he's well lit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know too. The, the part I like about this scene the most is that I mean, sure, Ben beats the shit out of him, but that's it. You know, he doesn't drag him outside like he said. Hey, you know, I should. Oh yeah, yeah. I Ben's not to. a complete. Ben's not that. I mean, if it were reversed, Cooper would probably do that. Yeah, absolutely. So eventually, everyone, I guess, comes back upstairs because the. Um, so at this point, zombies are starting to use tools. They're picking up rocks. They're picking up, you know, pieces of wood from the chair that Ben burnt. And they're trying to get in through the windows. And so everyone's got their hands full. Cooper grabs the gun from Ben or tries to. Ben takes it back and shoots him. Cooper was trying to get his wife down to the cellar and just to leave them, uh, leave everyone else there. Who Everyone else at this point is just Ben and Barbara. Yes, Barbara's still there. We haven't mentioned her in a half hour. So Ben shoots Cooper. Cooper kind of stumbles his ass downstairs. His wife, Helen, has been grabbed by the zombies. She eventually gets free, but she is grabbed. She's kind of held here. I think Barbara actually helps her get out. Yes. Probably by accident, though, because Barbara's useless. (laughs) As Helen goes downstairs, she sees that her husband is being eaten by her child. (laughs) Because the the sick kid all along was, you know, she was turning Z. She was turning Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <there> <laughs> and, <laughs> and then in probably the most iconic scene of the movie, also one of the strangest scenes. Because I mentioned, okay, we see zombies using tools. We generally don't see zombies using tools as efficiently for specific murder purposes as they do here. Or as this one girl does here. Because yeah. she picks up, what is it? Is that a, a garden A trowel, a, I think. Okay, it's it's a garden something, a trowel. And she goes full, like, Norman Bates on, on her mom, which is fan- it's fantastic. It's great. It's really creepy, the sound design mm-hmm. for it. It's, like, half scream. It's almost, like, musical, too, in a way. Cause it's yeah, just it, a it's, weird... almost like, it's almost like they've taken separate tracks of her screaming then, like, have layered it on top of each other and then with, like, weird musical yeah. stings. Yeah, it, it, I think that's probably exactly what they did. But yeah, it's it's really unsettling and fantastic editing. It's a lot of neat shots of the shadow mm-hmm. of the girl stabbing. And it's great stuff. And it's, like I said, might be the most famous scene in the movie, which is kind of weird because this is a movie about zombies eating people, not... <laughs> Not that children stabbing garden people. implements. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of strange, but it's but it's all but it all works. It's great. Barbara, as she's helping Ben fight off these zombies, she sees Johnny. Johnny shows up, and th- at this point, Barbara loses it. I mean, this is the fifth time she's lost it, but she's, <laughs> it's so all she, gone, baby. It's all gone. I guess she gets eaten by her brother. She gets pulled away. Yeah, you know, I guess that's kind of fitting. Poetic, shut I guess. up about her brother except when she did <laughs> shut up for 45 minutes and yeah there's something poetic about the they in the they're coming to get you barbara being him i guess mm-hmm. i don't know 
All I know is that is the one zombie to kind of smile because that actor is. I think I think someone forgot to tell that actor that he was a zombie. The Johnny guy, he just kind of shows up. He's got this like smirk on his face. Like, come on, you're a freaking. <laughs> yeah. You don't enjoy things. You just you just do them. You're a zombie. Before we get to the very end, we forgot to mention the shot of all the zombies eating the eating uh, Tom and uh, what was her name, Julie? Judy. After the car, after the truck explodes, oh, yeah. the zombies uh, yeah, like, ravage is... the truck. <laughs> yes, and this is. This is another very famous scene, of course. And this is, it's set to like weird pulsating music. Yeah. That, I again, like I think it. is really effective. I, I think it's great. I think it's perfect for this scene. It's, again, incredibly graphic for 1968. Anyways, mm-hmm. incredibly graphic for black and white. And you get to see some zombies fumbling around their intestines, chewing on some bones. By today's standards, it's tame. You are totally right about that uh, pulsating music. When I said I don't like it, I mean it. <laughs> it oh, it's made creepy. Me uncomfortable with the scene, yeah. It is creepy stuff. I remember, like, uh, I think I, I don't think it was the first time I saw this movie. I think it was like the second time I saw this movie. This scene just like got under my skin, and I think a big part of that was that weird music. I'm I'm sure it's just bad quality music, but it almost sounds like they like slowed it down to the point where like the quality was like breaking apart. Yeah. And it's probably, I'm probably giving it too much credit. It probably just is poorly put together music in a way, because this is a really cheap movie, guys. In fact, I'm not even sure. I think something like that almost certainly is. But for a long time, I wasn't even sure. sure. Like, is there even a score to this movie? Or is this just like music that they found? Yeah, that's... Because you watch question. that opening scene and the opening credits, that music comes up. That's music that sounds like it's out of like an early 50s horror movie or like a late 40s, like you know, B movie to Mighty Joe Young, the A movie or something. I mean, it's just yeah. like sounds old. It doesn't really fit the movie that we're watching, which I, you know, that's kind of fun actually. But yeah, it, it, it just feels weird. And then, but something like that feels so specific. The, the, the music during this zombie feast scene feels so specific. I'm like, that had to have been done for this movie. Mostly yeah, just because it, I can't imagine a psychopath composing that not for this movie. Like, I don't know who would do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the I mean, I love this scene, but the only thing that makes the scene kind of falter for me in its effectiveness is when <laughs> all the zombies do kind of, you know, raid the truck and start tearing apart the the burnt corpses. Then you see, like, a bunch of zombies sit around, <laughs> like, in a circle together eating. And it really, it, it honestly reminds me of, like, family picnics. I just thought so kumbaya kind of of thing yeah yeah I mean because we got the campfire going kind of because (laughs) half the place is on fire uh yeah yeah it's very peaceful I I think you called it cute earlier you're like yeah it's a cute little scene oh yeah it's it's adorable (laughs) because I mean yeah they're just the actors just having a good time chewing on some like dog bones or yeah I didn't like the intestines are I don't know what the intestines are but I know intestines are like a pretty easy thing to fake special effects wise and I'm sure all the more easy when you're doing black and white and nobody's gonna be able to tell anyways you know yeah I hated how they cut to that zombie playing with the intestines like twice and I was like ugh, that's so gross get out of here also there was a naked zombie in that scene did you catch that yeah if you look at the poster this movie's in the public domain. There's probably more than one poster, but like the poster I'm familiar with, one of the zombies is butt ass naked. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, well, where is that in the movie? But then, you know, a few months ago when I saw this movie, I'm like, oh, there's a naked zombie. Oh, there he, there it is. You know, moon in the camera. So with Ben being the only person left in the house, Barbara having been taken. Well, first of all, the kid comes up comes up from stabbing her mother and eating her father, and I can't even really say attacks. She kind of just gets in the way, and he shoves her away. And then he ends up going downstairs, and he barricades himself 
in the cellar where Mr. Cooper wanted to be all along, where he ends up surviving the night. Is that kind of that ironic thing where it's like, honestly, you can say like, oh, Cooper was right. They survived. But but also, would Ben have been right if Cooper would have cooperated a little bit more? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They might have still, or or, or if the car didn't blow up, I'm sure they would have been in great shape. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like how things played out, like, oh, you can say, yeah, Cooper was right. But at the same time, it's like, hey, Ben could have easily been right. We just needed a little bit better teamwork. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And we just needed to park a little bit closer to the freaking gas pump so we didn't spill gas everywhere. That was that's really the biggest problem. I I guess I blamed Ben earlier for putting the torch on the ground. But no, you got to get within you got to get close to that thing. (laughs) So the next day that armed militia is storming the capital i mean walking around the field <laughs> yeah and yeah. they're you know they're shooting zombies left and right and ben hears you know all this gunfire and he decides to get up get up and then he gets shot in the head it's a brilliant shot from some guy that looks like a mix between dick miller and kirk douglas lee harvey oswald uh Ben gets shot in the head. I mean, they think he's a zombie, but again, what you were kind of talking about earlier, those the whole like him being black kind of changes this moment for the movie. I mean, I think it's a, even were there not a racial, possibly allegorical message to this ending, this ending is freaking heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. It's you're you're with Ben all night. He survives all this shit. He survives all of these people who are not helping him or downright sabotaging him in the case of Cooper. And he finally gets it. You're like, oh, he's finally going to catch a break. And then nope. It's just, it's devastating. The hardest part to watch is after he's dead and the credits start rolling, they have all those stills. All those stills. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big And especially part the parts with the meat hooks in them and stuff. Yeah. And they're dragging his body out onto the, onto the pyre. Um, and that yeah, that specifically, awesome. I think, is the, is where the um, a lot of the discussion of, of this scene of this movie, really not just the scene being this kind of racial message comes in, because those images we're seeing, they do look like, you know, the type of stuff you would have seen to do with lynchings and stuff back, way back yeah. when, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's disturbing again, no matter what race anybody in them is. But it's like with this, it's like, oh, this feels very real. And this would have felt very, very real in 68. And it feels real enough now, you know? Mm-hmm. The other issue there is, you know, throughout the whole movie, that whole race card wasn't even brought up, you know? The the whole... Um, um, right, that Cooper never said anything. Yeah, Cooper never said anything. And it was never about... It was never about Ben being black and Cooper being white. You know, it was just about a shitty person. No, 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 you, you say... But again, this is just sub, subtext, though. Because you're right. Maybe you're Cooper. Right. The reason Cooper's being. I mean, yeah, he wants to stay in the cellar, but like Tom starts being like, "Hey, maybe upstairs is the way to go." But like Cooper is just so friggin' stubborn. Like, is there this not wanting to take orders from this black dude? Is that part yeah. of it? I mean, maybe it could be. I mean, I don't think it has to be vocalized necessarily. Like, you can still read that in, in into this movie. Yeah, I agree. I I just it's not even that I find a hard time. I don't. I can see what everybody else is seeing when they bring in this this racial aspect to it. And I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to pass over, especially because you do have this lead actor who who happens to be black. And again, Romero could have said, could have actually cast him that way for that purpose. But then you also have kind of throwaway lines where Cooper goes down to talk to his wife 
after Tom stays upstairs and stuff. And Cooper's wife goes, Oh, look at you all upset that you're not the king of your castle. You just can't handle being second in command or something like that. You could bring it back to the race thing. Or Listen, we've had it... we've had centuries of people doing that very thing with Othello for the exact same scenario. This one guy yeah. <laughs> taking orders from from Othello, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if if it's fair for Othello, it's fair here. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not saying that the discussion shouldn't exist. It's just that I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying now. I don't know. It's just interesting. The whole discussion around it is interesting. And and I mean, the most effective way to tell an allegorical message at least to me anyways is to have it not hit you over the head and it's it it shows a subtlety or a skill in the filmmaking that you know maybe it's by happenstance but like something worked about this movie maybe by accident a lot of cheap ass independent horror movies that are as significant as night of the living dead or like Halloween or something. A lot of the stuff that ends up working about them is probably, you know, there's a lot of luck or a lot of happy accidents kind of thing. I mean, Blair Witch Project probably <laughs> maybe the best example <laughs> other than this movie or like uh, Saw. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, going back to every zombie story is the same story. This seems to be just the best possible version of that story. If race is a part of the story or not, I think this movie just has a way of... I think this... I, I really do feel like this movie understands human psychology better than any movie. You've seen other movies about, like, humanity sucks or is doomed or something. Mm-hmm. The doom that humanity, in this case, obviously, just the microcosm of this group of people, the the, the doom that they bring upon themselves is, like, so understandable and, and again going back to the great debate between upstairs downstairs both sides make so much sense and then even that like when we see which side worked that like oh maybe the other side would have worked if they did this thing differently i just think it's so compelling and it's so like cooper for being the prick that he is makes a lot of sense yeah ben makes a lot of sense still manages to be a prick here or there tom is kind of just along for the ride barbara sucks unfortunately okay i'll give you barbara <laughs> not the most compelling character psychologically but it's really just it's mainly cooper and ben i guess tiny little bit of tom and a little bit of helen i'll give helen some credit that cooper and ben interplay i don't know if if, if i could use that term that that interplay between Cooper and Ben, it really reaches that peak when Cooper takes the gun from Ben. But even earlier, when Cooper had said to his wife, at one point when Ben had left the room, he goes, I gotta get that gun, honey. And you're like, "Uh Mm uh-oh. You know? (laughs) And you honestly can't help but feel that racial tension. And going back to what we were saying... And when he locks him out, too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. When he locks him out, and you're like, is he doing it because he's a black guy, or, or is he doing it because... He just wants to be in charge. You know, either way, he's a dick, but... Or is he doing... No, no, no. I mean, there's still a chance that, like... No, <laughs> there's three options. There's a black dude or just wants to be in charge. Or there's also, you know, if I let him in, there's no way we hold this place down. Like, there's zombies are coming. Mm-hmm. Like, there is still the defending your family kind of thing, too. I also thought it was interesting how... Um, uh, what's his name? Dwayne Jones? Yeah. How he's, I think, the only black person in the movie like there's no black zombies i don't think no i guess you're right yeah i wasn't thinking about that whether or not the whole race thing was intentional i i think at least some of it had to have been intentional like there's no way it wasn't especially in 68 right i yeah that's that's the thing i think they're personally where i fall on this i don't think romero's telling the truth when he says like no i didn't try to want to tell it because the storytelling itself is 
the the story the plot the script is open to allegory that to me it doesn't seem like it's coincidental that a black man is the lead character here Mm -hmm. yeah i I agree with you on that but but you know though romero does have a point where he is the best actor for or in the movie he's definitely the best actor in the movie no he's great only made a one or two other movies i think i think he was like a drama teacher or, or like in I think he taught drama or maybe taught acting in, in some way for, for like most of his life. No, it really is a fantastic movie. I've, I've only seen this a handful of times. And, uh, you know, as you and uh, I'm sure the audience knows at this point, I haven't seen a lot of movies that we've done for this podcast. Uh, this but you one saw of the ones both I of these before. I have, these, yes. Cause... I know. This might be like the second or third time. <laughs> in the history of this podcast so far that I've... All right. But no, I, I love it. First time I saw it, I was terrified uh, when I was a kid. Second time I saw it, uh, I was probably in my late teens, and that's when I picked up on the racial drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found a whole new love and interest for this movie. And uh, yeah, watching it again, it's just great. It's great to pick apart and talk and think about it and stuff. So which of these two movies do you prefer? Definitely Night of the Living Dead. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I did say that I did like Final Destination, and my feelings on it have been changed a bit. And I still like it, and it is still entertaining, and parts of it are enjoyable. But this is just a, a fantastic movie. Night of the Living Dead, that is. So how about you? Yeah, this is an easy, easy one. Night <laughs> of the Living Dead, one of the greatest movies of all time. Final Destination is trashy teen horror from an era where horror was kind of lame if you ask me although i mean it's it's trashy fun like there's value in final destination but it's not night of the living dead so how do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature can you guess what i'm gonna say patrick no Uh, i actually enjoyed it i thought uh, i thought it worked fine as a as a double feature you have this one movie that's insanely goofy and ridiculous and over the top and funny in scenes like hilarious when miss luton gets killed and then you have this heavy solid movie that is making you tackle the questions of the issues that humanity is facing how humanity would deal with a crisis like this and the whole tension between the races and stuff and uh, and all that uh, unspoken conflict there i don't think this is a good double feature <gasps> the main reason i think i think night of the living dead is so freaking bleak I hate ending the night on that, and I'm thinking of if we reverse this, and we started with Night of the Living Dead, and then finish with Final Destination, okay, we go from, like, the bleakest ending in the history of movies to, okay, plane explosion in, the, in like, the opening scene. Like, I don't know, there's, like, no... <laughs> It's like someone is feeling miserable at some but but i do think in in um contextually for the double feature i I think night of the living dead is probably better as is is the first movie and i think it's best followed up with something goofy yeah i agree i don't know i'm just like look at the two endings though well both endings are bleak you know? I mean, no, they're not. <laughs> Final Destination's like, okay, it's bleak in the sense that, oh, you can't escape your fate, except nothing else about the movie's bleak. It's it's like a cartoon. Yeah. It's a Universal Studios ride at the end. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know if I can really explain it much better than that, but these movies, I want my bleakness to be complemented by something certainly more colorful and less bleak, but... I don't know. Final Destination doesn't do it for me, and this that I'm also obviously talking about this, assuming the order of the two movies was reversed, which already not what we did. So I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. So Patrick, what are we up to next week? 
Well, not you in this case, because we have a special oh. guest. <laughs> but we are doing Grizzly, a personal favorite bad movie of mine from 1976, and Vice Academy, the original 1989 USA Up All Night film made for TV slash feature. I don't. I really am not 100% sure what it is, but that one is available <laughs> on Tubi. Well, you have plenty of excuses not to check it out, but if you want to listen to us, you might as well. You might as well check it out. And so, join us next week for Grizzly and Vice Academy. And until then, you know, thank you for listening to us. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. I'll see you two weeks from now, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs>